Welcome back to Brain Dump. So this week we have Helen Carnell on, and uh, every time I had a telephone call to rearrange and arrange this podcast with Helen, I always wish we were recording because it was so interesting and a lot of depth and understanding about mental health and spirituality. So I'm so glad we finally got to uh, get her on the show. Um, there is a bit of hissing in the recording. I did my best to get rid of it, but you know, this is very much me going at it own. So uh, I do apologise for that. But uh, as I say, the content is really, really good, and I'm so glad that we finally got Helen on the show. So uh, I hope everyone enjoys. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Brain Dump. This is a podcast where we talk about life from the meaningful to the, to the extreme. extreme. But yeah, thank you for going on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Honestly, it's really That's kind. okay. Yeah, my pleasure. Fantastic. So um, for the benefit of the listeners, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So um, I'm in my 50s. I think I'll keep it at that. But I'm in my <laughs> 50s. Um, I, my background is business. Um, and then a few years ago, I trained to be a counsellor. Uh, and worked in a hospice and run a team within that. Okay. Um, yeah, and then after sort of working for a few years in that field, a combination of factors um, from the not the work really, but related with personal and mm. sort of a, a coming together of different things, I ended up having to take time out due to burnout. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, burnout is definitely something... Uh, I'm prone to for sure, like taking on way too much and saying yes to too many things. But uh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, certainly something that I think affects a lot of people for sure. Um, so where did you grow up, and sort of what was your childhood like, and that that sort of thing? Okay, so um, my originally my parents are from Nottingham, mm-hmm. and my father was in the air force, so okay. I was born in Nottingham. And then we went to, he was stationed in Cyprus and my sister, we went out there and my sister was born there. Okay. And we came to live in Chelmsford at about when I was six years old. Okay. Um, so both parents were together. Um, my family life and childhood was kind of a mixture, really. My mum mm. had mental health, so, um, which I didn't recognise at the time. But when looking back, she'd had it on and off throughout my childhood. Okay. And my dad was quite a hard worker. Mm-hmm. Um, both actually, both parents were hard workers, but mm-hmm. we also had to kind of really, um, we struggled around finance and money to sort of make a living. Mm-hmm. So, No, I understand that. Yeah, certainly. Um, but overall, sort of a happy childhood? Um, I wouldn't say happy, no. Okay. Um, Yes, it was okay. And mm. my parents did, um, you know, they did what they could to bring my sister and I up. Um, it was happy when I was young, but as I sort of moved into adolescence, things started to change. Mm. And I think it was more stress-related stuff going on in the family. For sure. I mean, overall, it's probably similar. Most of my friends have had a similar sort of upbringing. Mm. So it seems like generationally that that was the thing of that time. Okay, yeah. So what is the uh, ACL and sort of what's your, your job there? Adult Community Learning, um, that is uh, an adult education centre. Okay. And I started working there about three years or so ago, uh, teaching courses specific related to mental health. Okay. Um, 
that was kind of my return back into work, really. Okay. Um, because I'm passionate about it, because I used to work with it, with children and young people, but then I experienced it myself. And also my mum had a breakdown when I was in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. It's something that's close to my heart. So I worked, started working with courses through ACL. Um, those courses were designed for people that experience mental health or worked with it or supported it. Mm. Um, and they were really put together by a group of us collectively who'd had experience professionally and personally or both. Mm-hmm. And we wrote up sets of courses for people so that they could come and learn some skills. Oh, fantastic. That's amazing. So, like, how many of you got together to sort of, you know... Um, I think at the time the te- team was about between about eight people. Oh wow! Um, okay. So there was a few of us employed, and it was specifically that we'd had to have know that experience of what mental health mm, was like sure. because there's something about understanding it. Yeah, and have you been involved with any other organisations that do a similar thing, or is this is the ACL sort of the the big one? No, um, I also worked for the NHS for a year as a peer support worker, supporting okay. people that were off with mental health conditions back into work. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them really coincided with my recovery. Okay. Um, because I'd, I'd started out, originally I couldn't work at all because I was diagnosed with acute depression and generalised anxiety. Um, and at that time I had trauma as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my start back into work was um, volunteering in a church and then I got the job at ACL. But alongside that, I also applied for a work as a peer support worker um, and again they were kind of all in that area so I was supporting people where I could relate to the condition and the challenges faced for mm-hmm. people that have those conditions. Okay and if you weren't doing this role what would you be hoping to do otherwise or is this something that you've always wanted to do? Um, well that role I'm still the role with the NHS has now come to its end and I'm now returned back into private practice as well as I teach other courses like mindfulness I'm currently teaching uh, counselling and accredited courses so I'm returning back to my original role my passion is really children and young people um, and I like to work with a range of areas but I'm particularly keen on raising awareness about mental health Mm. and kind of supporting people that have those conditions. Okay, that's fantastic. So what were the sort of life experiences that led you onto this sort of journey? Um, Well, I've been reflecting on that recently, Mm. and I would say that um, my original background was I worked in a print business as a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came across counselling through through printing that we did for an organisation. But I would say, really, when I look at it, I've experienced um, mental health on and off through my kind of particularly adolescent years. Mm-hmm. And I think under that, when I look at my culture and within my family unit, it seems to be something that is quite um, is there with transgenerationally and within the family. Mm. And it's something that I felt myself particularly, I think, due to sensitivity. Yeah. Okay. So you th- is, do you think life experiences sort of give you uh, an insight into other people's sort of, you know, difficulties with their own mental health and that's sort of motivated you in- into helping others as well? 
Yeah, and I think that um, there's a concept known as the wounded healer. And in all care professions, generally people go into that because they want to care. Mm. So for me, I think there was a passion there um, because somehow I felt the sensitivity myself. And also I was drawn to helping others. And that showed up quite early in my younger years Mm. because I had to grow up quite quickly with a a mum that had mental health. Yeah, certainly. I certainly feel feel that a lot with sort of what I've been through. And whenever I see anyone going through a difficult time, there is that sort of you want to lend that hand of help wherever you can. Mm. I can I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. What was sort of the lowest point in your life? Um, my lowest point was a few years back. I think we had a chat, didn't mm. we, on the phone, where um, I got to the point because I was having panic attacks every day. I wasn't sleeping. Um, I had a lot of anxiety because I didn't have a home, mm-hmm. had health conditions that were worrying me. So I got to a point where I just felt exhausted and I wanted out of life. So I mm-hmm. took an overdose because I'd had enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a, a long process to recover from that mm-hmm. because I think there was a point where I just felt what was the point to everything. Yeah, certainly, um, yeah. Yeah, and that's something I think is quite difficult to explain because it's not something that comes from a rational mind. No, it's yeah. something that comes from the condition. Mm. No, I certainly I completely agree with that. I I think sometimes when everything in your life is going south, and you it becomes very very unbearable. And so I remember to speaking, and we've spoken this about this before about saying that it's not necessarily wanting to die; it's not wanting to live, no. and that option yeah. feels very much more enticing. Um, and it is an incredibly dark place, and I think anyone who's put in that position, it, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a position, it's not a choice that anyone takes lightly. Um, no. But what was the turning point for you how did you sort of turn that around and you know here you are today so there must must have been some kind of yeah a loving life day actually Mm. um I would say that for me when I look at it now because I'm researching burnout and I'm kind of looking Mm. into what happened then what I would say is that it was a transformational process so, so on some level, it was like, I don't want this particular life anymore Mm -hmm. but what I do want is something different um, but at that time, it's kind of called like the dark night of the soul. It's almost like life has no meaning. Mm. But really what it was, was that the way that I was working and the way that I was functioning was I wasn't happy. Mm. Um, and I was confronting with all sorts of things around that, as well as having a very high achiever personality. Um, so I would say that my recovery particularly was a slow process. Mm-hmm. Firstly, I had to deal with finding a home. I had to deal with also kind of coming to terms with that I'd had losses and also how it was affecting myself, my friends, my family. Um, I thought I could come around very quickly, but I wasn't able to take the medication because it was very sensitive mm. um, and I my body couldn't tolerate the side effects. So it was a very slow process and I would say it probably took about two to three years to really come through that and it was like mm. learning how to walk again yeah and becoming a person that's what it's like really mm-hmm. for me it was so did you seek uh therapy then or was this how uh, well i've been in and take? out of therapy through my training so that's something that something i've been accessing for 
quite a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very lucky that I was um, I had an agency called One Support that supported me with all the practicalities. Okay. And they had particular funding pot for um, specific therapy. So I chose to have EMDR. Mm-hmm. Um, then I was lucky because the therapist that I chose and worked with then um, she gave it to me at a place uh, a price that I could afford so I carried on with her Mm -hmm. so it was a combination of therapy spiritual practices of meditation Mm. uh, and going to sort of connecting with other people that were nurturing and kind of meeting new people as well as kind of making friends with people that knew what it was like yeah I definitely think uh it's sort of like people like us is what I sometimes people label the whole sort of that I don't, know, I don't know what it don't know what it is but it is a kind of connection it's almost like can... it has to be categorized isn't yeah it? it's a weird kind of vibe but I think it's quite an important uh important feeling that you get with people when you realize okay they've under you know they've seen the darkness as well as the light and I think there's an appreciation for that that um definitely comes across sometimes um so why the uh, adult learning center um it was just it was a job that came about it just I was looking job searching and it just came up and it was almost like it had been written for me because yeah. it was a few hours a week So it was what I could do. I'd got the skills to do it, and I was able to work a few hours a week because at that time I couldn't work full time. Of course, yeah. So it just happened to come along at the right time. And I'm quite um, a spiritual believer in that sometimes things come in divine timing. So Mm. it was like I'd opened the possibility of working, and then I found that, which was ideally suited for me. And what I liked about it, was that that particular project, um, they knew the challenges and they also knew that it was important to have people that had experience, so that was well supported and still is. Yeah, yeah. And do you do anything outside of uh, the ACL? Yeah, I'm now practising. I'm a supervisor. Um, I sometimes run meditation mindfulness groups. Oh, cool. yeah, and I've got pretty much a social life with uh, family and friends. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's all about um, enjoyment of life and that balance, work-life oh, balance, oh, really. Balance is key. You did mention that you had um, you have training, uh, but all, and you also have obviously life experiences. But what do you think is the most sort of valuable aspects that you can bring to to your current role? Um. Just an openness because everybody's experience is different. Mm, Um, And my passion really is providing, I'm not an expert, so my passion really is all about giving people a space where they can feel heard and where they don't feel so alone and isolated. Mm. So I would say because there is a misconception that mental health is a weakness and it's not, people that live with it, They have to contend with everyday life as well as that. It's a hidden condition. So for me, um, it's more about uh, just giving people space to be Mm. and to be as they are, Mm -hmm. but at the same time sharing some resources and ideas um, so that they can see that they also can get a life where they're able to function and get some joy out of life. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, So how long have you been running this for? 
I don't run the project. It's something that's run by um, a particular team within adult community mm -hmm. learning. Um, but I've been working in that field now for ACL for about three years. And okay. they're a, wow. I, I like their organisation. Yeah, they're yeah. principled. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And do you feel mm. that your, your, I don't know, teaching or your style of approach has changed over, over the three years? Um, I wouldn't say I'm a teacher. I would okay. say that I'm more somebody that facilitates. I don't like mm. putting myself in that sort of um, yeah, context. Okay. It's mm -hmm. more about um, I'm facilitating sort of uh, a space where people can come and learn and grow and develop. Okay. I think that's my approach. And the same is my approach even within counselling. Mm -hmm. It's more about the relationship. The rest mm. of it is kind of just a little bit of a foundation of understanding. I see. Okay. And do you is how how do you how is that developed? Is it like uh you build a sort of friendship and you just openly discuss things or how does it work? Um no, no. Um, we have to follow codes of ethics and also the boundaries. So it's okay. really important that we're clear within those roles. Mm -hmm. um, but we do share a little bit about our knowledge in terms of that we've had it by experience. Okay. Um, and if somebody asked me a direct question, then I would answer that. But it's not about developing friendships. I see. Okay. Because it has to be clear. Um, I've got friendships outside of that. Mm. Um, Role. I see that's obviously quite a, uh, an important distinction and quite a healthy way to approach it because I think otherwise you yeah. could, you know get sort of I don't know it could be quite triggering I can imagine if um you're you know dealing yeah. with a lot of these dark and, spaces well it's not only that it's about self-care so mm. it's important and for the individuals as well um it's really important that they're supported by professionals in relation to the mental health. They're coming along to learn particular skills. Mm. Um, and I think as individuals, we need to feel safe. So it's important to have a whole community of people around us and be able to determine who is what, because a friendship is different to, um, say, a doctor, or they're all different kind of no, aspects, definitely. really. That's, that's a good point. Um, so what do you feel are like the most common issues that people sort of are confronted by? I think the main thing I've recognised, I think, as well, um, is stuckness. Okay. Is that people kind of, there's a fear that people, especially when people have had it for a long time, mm. they don't know what is out there. They don't, and to take that step and kind of then really stay with that, Mm. it's whether they've got the support and the resources to do that so I would say but I've seen massive transformation when people come in and they just meet other people sometimes that's enough um, mm. and I've seen those people to go on and find jobs and do amazing things mm. I think that is really really important is the fact that is that human connection of you know you're meeting people who are going through similar things uh and they just understand and i think knowing that there are people who are going through the same thing and the people who've gone through the same thing really gives you that sort of uh motivation and that sort of gumption to keep going through these things and i, I think that's you know really valuable yeah it is really valuable, and I think because when I was recovering, I went to what was called the Recovery College at that time. Okay. Sadly, it lost funding, and what I really liked about that was that um, the courses there were taught by professionals alongside peer workers, mm -hmm. 
Um, and what I found really beneficial was just meeting other people. Mm-hmm. The learning part of it is okay, it's a small part of it, but for me it was meeting other people and feeling able to be myself. Mm. And I think that is the kit. That's one of the things that works really well, particularly with the courses that I attended and what we do now. Mm. So do you think uh, people who can who go to these classes and people that you meet and help, is it is it good for building up confidence in these sort of? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is. Yeah, because the courses are managing anxiety, building confidence, health and well-being. So there's a selection of courses, but yeah, definitely it's help, helpful to build up confidence. Mm. Um, and also they form friendships with each other. Mm. Um, yeah, so they are. They're not specific in talk, talking about the labels. It's more about, well, okay, so you're living with this. What can you do to help yourself feel better? Yeah. I almost think labels aren't really needed, like anxiety, no. depression, um, whatever it might be, is is all mental health, you know, orientated. Yeah. And I think it is just, uh, as, as you described it, it's like a getting stuck in your own sort of, mm. you know, w- ways of thinking and behaviours and things. Um, so yeah, yeah. I can only understand, understand we're we're more similar than we are different, and I think that's the most important thing that we that arises from this. Yeah, and we're all suffering. Yeah, hundred percent, we are, and and I think acknowledging that and accepting that, and then being able to move forward is is the most important element. Yeah. Hmm. Do you uh, ever worry that you'd not be able to help someone, and how do you deal with that? Um, I've realized through my own journey and just through my professional and personal experience, um, Mm -hmm. I think that that's not always possible. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was particularly unwell, a a thing that a friend of mine said to me is, Helen, I can be alongside you, but it has to come from you. Yes. And I think that is key to recovery, Mm. but sadly, some people just don't. And, Mm. um, that is quite difficult to sometimes live with that or not live with it, but it's sad to see that. Mm. But what we do do is that we do have guidelines and we have safeguarding um, and we kind of make sure that people are signposting into the correct organisations yeah. or the professionals that can support that. Mm. I completely agree. I think I said this before where you can walk the path with someone but not for someone. And I no. think that's really important because if you're trying to walk paths for people, you end up drowning yourself. Um, and mm. I think, and sometimes people, it's, it's about the timing as much as anything. Like there'll be one, you'll be trying to help someone and it might not help. And then suddenly you'll, they'll unlock something and another, someone's translated another way of thinking and it, mm. they suddenly see them blossom out of nowhere. And I think sometimes it is just as much about timing as it is, you know, the right treatment or the right methods mm. of countering these things. Um, yeah. So I know that we spoke last time or recently and you went on a silent retreat. So, yes. so tell me what that is and what, what it's like. <clears throat> well, um, I would say that the main thing that helped in my recovery, along with my support of family and friends and other bits and pieces mm-hmm. for me was meditation and spiritual practice. Now, um, 
going right the way back to when I was a child, I've always been interested in the bigger meaning and mm-hmm. especially spiritual practice. Same. <laughs> so, um, or, and I, even though I've over the 20 years, I've kind of dipped in with that and I've done various courses and never did it daily. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found is I did start, I now do it daily or I sit in meditation and I practice mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been really instrumental in me kind of recovering. It shifted me quicker than anything else. Yes, me too. Um, and it's interesting because that my first voluntary job was at a church. So it's almost like that that was my guidance. Yeah, yeah. Um, the silent retreat never turned out to be silent full time. Okay. Um, because the, the Lama did suggest that he did say that we could talk on the first couple of days. Okay. Um, just as a way of kind of making connections. Mm-hmm. But actually, it was really, it was lovely. It was lovely to get away for a week. And actually, I didn't realize how much we do talk. Mm. And there's something about being able to sit in silence and just having that space and being with people, but without having to make-up conversation so yes it was really i loved it mm. did you find it helpful and would you recommend it to yeah else? definitely i would recommend it to someone that has um yes i would recommend it however i would say if somebody's experiencing very high anxiety to start out with something that's local okay. and start off with a few minutes a day because it depends where people are at yeah. With meditation, people think it's all about blissful, relaxed states. Mm. But sometimes you, we can find that things get better before they get, or they get worse before they get better. Yes, definitely. Because it is going within. So mm. we start to recognise that the body's full of anxiety, cortisol, and then mm. that can exacerbate symptoms. That's certainly true. I remember. Um, I remember early in sort of my sort of crisis times. I remember someone saying oh you should try meditation and sitting down with my thoughts was like the worst thing I could do and then later on down the line when I was in a better place it was opening doors for me and it was like the most incredible recovery like method that I'd ever come across yeah that initial first time I was definitely not receptive to it and I think you're, you're very correct in thinking that you know it is a time and a place for you to be open to it and it's going to be you know, sort of a bit more stability in your life, I think. <laughs> yeah. But also I'd say if somebody's interested in it, then see maybe a mindfulness-based CBT practitioner mm, okay. or somebody that incorporates it in their particular, uh, their particular approach because mm. by having somebody doing it with you and talking it through, that could be really helpful. Certainly. Um, and I know that when one of the things that I discovered when I went to the retreat mm-hmm. is that people that are specifically interested in meditative practice, Eastern philosophy, have a guru mm-hmm. or a lama. So they've got someone they can go and talk to. Mm. And that's really important, I think, with any type of meditation is go to a group or see a specialist. Yeah, certainly. I think... Um... I think that's when it really the shift in meditation really happened with me. So I've sort of tried it on my own a little bit, but then I started going to a multi-faith chaplain and there was a Buddhist monk there and she held these sessions and I just started going and you definitely, even just being in the presence of someone who's a lot more experienced than yourself makes you feel a lot safer, makes you sort of understand it a bit more and it sort of leads you in a way that's, it's hard to explain, really, but I feel like that certainly helps a lot. I completely agree with that. 
Yeah. So why did you choose this particular retreat? Oh, um, well, I, I co-taught a lesson last year or co-taught a course with a, a colleague and she's Buddhist. Um, and she told me about it. So I came across this um, teacher, Alan Wallace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, yeah, I like the sound of that. And it was within my budget. So I just paid to go on it, really. Yeah. <laughs> now, I was looking up this Alice Woz guy, and he sounds pretty amazing. Like um... He is, yeah. And he's got a very broad knowledge of Eastern tradition combined mm. with science and philosophy. Mm. Um, and I like that because he's brought it all together mm. rather than just separating it out, which is sometimes what happens. No, I completely agree. And... and... Because having a, a sort of a biology master's background, it's really interesting seeing now the, the crossover between meditation and science, where we're now, you know, doing brain scans of uh, yeah. medita- of of monks meditating and finding incredible data, and it's amazing how like these. Uh, you know, Buddhist monks hundreds of years ago knew it before we did now, and it's we're finally catching up. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. It is, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And what I really liked about him as well is that he, I didn't realize that you can, there are different stages to meditation. Mm. So he talks about shamatha, which is your basic. Mm. Um, and the Eastern, when they practice those, they start out with the basics and then they build on that. Okay. Whereas I think Western in the Western world, we've taken the b- these bits and these bits mm. and we put it together. Um, but it works, you know, I mm. think um, it, it's really what you want to get out of it. Oh, definitely. I 100% agree with that. So do you think there's anything sort of ingrained in our culture that's sort of isolated people or uh, neg- negatively affected <clears throat> mental health? I would say that my this is just my view at the moment, um, and I realise that this is my kind of opinion. Um, I would say we've got a very tough love, sort of hard work culture. Okay. Um, and somebody said that in the East, that when p- babies are born, they're massaged and they're taught these practices quite early. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't think we're born into a family, and I think based on my generate my parents' generation, mm-hmm. um, they had to work hard. Work, everything is about work hard, make a living, um, achievement, and kind of high results. Yeah, and that can be quite stressful. Um, and we, it's about having trying to bring self care, but we don't seem to be promoting that a lot. Mm. Although I think it's now started to become. Sort of coming, people are becoming more aware of it. Yeah, certainly. I think there's definitely uh, sort of a a shift to being more open with our feelings, and I think that's definitely a yeah. positive one for certain. So you've 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 read uh, lots of psychology, and uh, can you tell me more about sort of attachment styles or key theories that are sort of coming to light at the moment? Um, I would say that the key theories for me. Um, and again, this is just my sort of background, is attachment theory. Um, yeah. That's used a lot and that's talked about a lot. And what I noticed was when I was being supported by the mental health services, mm-hmm. that they wanted to know about my early year stuff, which I was see. attachment related. Um, schools are looking at attachment. Um, I'd say that's a pretty good theory. Mm -hmm. Um, One that I'm studying at the moment is person-centred, and some of that is also existentialism, 
as well so I think that's developing and what people are realizing is that we are thoughts feelings emotions it's the whole kind of whole of us really rather Mm. than just one aspect so can you just expand attachment theory and sort of explain that to two people um attachment theory was originated by um it comes from john bowlby okay um, and please don't quote me on this because <laughs> i'm having to tap into my kind of um, <laughs> knowledge with it but yeah. john bowlby came up with the idea that we are born into families mm-hmm. and as a real um depending on whether we've had kind of a nurturing and consistent upbringing yeah um is it kind of affects whether we develop what's known as attachment. If we haven't, if we've had a mixed upbringing in terms of parenting styles or particular trauma, mm-hmm. then that can um, develop into what's known as insecure attachment. And insecure attachment can consist of avoidant, ambivalent and disorganized styles. Um, and that affects us in relationships. Okay you know i don't like okay that's fascinating i'm certainly uh it's funny uh my girlfriend read a book on attachment theory and now all we do is go oh i'm uh avoidant and oh she's anxious yeah that's it it's fascinating how that definitely but something that um actually that i've become aware of is how we pathologize so mm-hmm. because we've got these theories and that we've got these ideas, mm-hmm. we can then end up labelling ourselves. Mm. Um, and we're not necessarily always in an avoidant. It might be that we are secure with some people, mm. but avoidant with others. It's all kind of connected with triggers, mm. and it's much bigger than that. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. I say uh, sort of... I I'm this is sometimes I have issues with labels because of exactly that reason where you learn something and uh, labeling something or identifying something can be very useful but at other yeah. times you then it stops you progressing because you've categorized yourself or others and yeah. you can't go beyond those boundaries um, no. and I yeah, I definitely think that can be it can be good, but also quite toxic sometimes if, if it's, yeah. you know, if the only thing that you're taking your information from. Yeah. I mean, a particular, two particular teachers I like are Matt Lakata and Jeff Foster. Okay. Um, and both of them have got psychotherapy back, background and spiritual background. Mm, okay. Um, and they both talk about how it's important that we're in the here and now, and it's important to... Uh, we don't need to fix ourselves. All we need to do is just to kind of learn to be whatever it is that's arising. Yeah. Um, because we are emotional beings. It's mm. just how we've been taught. And I think one of the other cultural things is that emotions tend to get kind of parked. Mm. We're not kind of that great at necessarily connecting with how we're feeling. Mm. Um, and we start out as physical beings communicating our needs through our emotions. Mm-hmm. So it only stands to reason that we're not just thinking beings. Mm. No, I agree. And I think it also, also comes around to sort of the, the Buddhist sort of philosophy of accepting yourself for who you are, regardless yeah. of, of theories and labels and, and such yeah. like. And I think and I think almost, you know, it's you almost have to take what is applicable to yourself, learn from it and grow from it. Um but don't necessarily live by that kind of one particular. Don't mantra. identify it. Mm. Yeah, 
That's it, yeah. So are there any uh, books that you've read that uh, people can use to sort of familiarise themselves with mindfulness practice or meditation? Um, I found the um, Finding Peace in a Frantic World by Mark Williams. That's a great book. It's an eight-week book Mm -hmm. with a CD in the back so people can use that and they don't have to necessarily go somewhere they can practice it themselves okay um i would say um i'm just thinking so other there is also an online website that has again courses and and it's free okay um, and that is palousemindfulness.com which is p-a-l-o-u-s-e mindfulness.com and that is an eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction course oh cool um so that's and it's got loads of uh youtube clips as well as resources mm-hmm. and if people do the practices and they scan back their experiences then he will provide a certificate oh, bro. Um, there's lots out there when you kind of search for it mm. tara brack uh christine neff um but if you as well the ted talks they've got loads of information oh fantastic okay i'm certainly looking into more of those then um mm. So how can people start introducing meditation into their lives? I would say suggest what I do in the courses is suggest that people wake up in the morning mm-hmm. um, and just begin by taking a few breaths, just become aware of what the sounds are, just lay there for a bit. Um, but I would say it depends on the individual because breathing mm. might be anxiety provoking. So just by taking a few moments a day, really, um, just noticing what's around them. So what are they seeing? What are they smelling? What are they hearing? And then start to perhaps maybe seek out. The other thing is this mindfulness is not just sitting practice. It could be that they join a walking group okay. or a nature group or something specific which helps them to just sort of become in the present, really. Mm. I like the idea of joining a group because I feel like the involvement with other people sort of mm-hmm. makes you accountable, but also that's that interaction is is quite yeah. healthy itself. Yeah, and there's lots of groups around in different locations. You've got, um, especially Buddhist groups. Mm-hmm. There's loads of different groups. So research what's in the area, try it out because there's a lot of free courses or ones that are very, very small price. Okay. Try it out, and if it feels right, stay with it. But if there's any warning signs or it doesn't feel right, then try something else Mm. because it's all individual and subjective. Oh, definitely. And trust your instincts. That's Mm. what I would say as well. Mm. Okay, And, and finally, so are there any sort of daily or regular habits that you have, um, and that you think that listeners might find helpful to to implement? Uh, Yeah, I start out by meditation, Mm -hmm. and I like to go out. I must get out in nature Mm -hmm. and get fresh air and have a walk, Uh, make sure that I rest. And also, for me, it's about noticing the early warning signs. So if I'm feeling particularly exhausted or tired, Mm. then I know that I need to stop and think about what it is I need. And that might be just to have a rest day. Yeah. But also the key thing is to make sure that eating um, three times a day or just make sure that you're eating something. Mm. Um, it's I think one of the things that is key is noticing our own warning signs. If we can become mm. more aware of ourselves, yeah and start to take look after learn how to look after ourselves, that's key in kind of maintaining and keeping well 
Definitely. Well, thank you, Helen. It's been absolutely fascinating to listen to you and a massive pleasure for getting on the show. And I really, really yeah, appreciate you. Thank you. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Brain Dump. I certainly did. I think Helen is uh, uh, a great personality, has a lot to say on mental health and spirituality, but also is you know straight to the point and uh, straightforward and and doesn't beat around the bush, which I think is really important, particularly when you're you're working in mental health. Um, but also um, there's a little bit at the end where she asks how uh, my mental health is, and I think that's just a testament of like her character and how much she cares. Uh, and we go on to talk about like. Uh, small lesson that I think is is important to sort of recovery in general um so I thought I'd include that it wasn't directly applicable to uh, anything uh any of the questions that we spoke about in the uh, in the episode but I thought it was important just to include at the end so uh here's that little segment now and how's your mental health is it something that you manage yourself as well yeah it's it's I think I'm very much like if I'm overworked or as as I experience burnout or overwhelmed, then I like plummet pretty savagely. But if I'm on top of it, then I've never been better. Like I mm. think for me, it's just it's more about prevention than it is anything else. Yeah. And I think yeah. if I can stay on top of things, then yeah, I'm actually living my best life at the moment. <laughs> so yeah. That's good, isn't it? It's yeah. nice to be that. That's what I was thinking. It's really nice. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's it, isn't it? But I think people relapse when they don't. Mm. Yeah, I, apparently a book I read was um he said it's the curse of the strong and if you don't learn from the first time, mm. then you'll end up relapsing, but if you learn what you need to learn, then you can actually maintain your recovery. Yeah, definitely. And I think you can't unlearn the things you've learned. So it's important no. that once you take a lesson, you just work on it. And I think it's kind of like, you know, going to the gym, you know, if if you stop mm. going, then, you know, that's when you start getting overweight and things. So it's important that's to just it. keep chipping away. And and it's, it's the hardest thing is to go to the gym sometimes. But once you go, mm. then, you know, it's all right you're there so it doesn't matter how hard you work as long as you do a little bit it doesn't matter but yeah mm. definitely hello it's uh, future connor again thanks for tuning in and i hope you enjoyed that little segment i'll uh, see you in the next one <laughs>